0: This podcast was recorded a little over two months back. Since then, James Urquhart, our guest in this episode, has moved from Dell Software to Soyuz Please bear with us on the old information on his employment. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Modern Enterprise Podcast. This is a podcast tailored for enterprise business leaders, IT managers, operations, and developers. I'm Krishnan Subramanian, Director of OpenShift Strategy at Red Hat. Prior to joining Red Hat, I founded a, uh, founded Rishi.research, a research organization focused on services oriented world. In this podcast, we will focus on modern trends reshaping the IT landscape that falls in line with the modern enterprise framework, which I have been advocating in the industry. For more information on modern enterprise framework, visit my blog at allthingsplatforms.com. Even though this podcast is vendor-neutral, I want to thank Red Hat OpenShift for paying my bills and letting me advocate modern IT trends as I see it as a long-time industry observer. OpenShift is Red Hat's platform as a service offering, helping organizations accelerate innovation and embrace DevOps. Let me t- now take this opportunity to welcome the first guest to Modern Enterprise podcast, James Urquhart from Dell. There are many reasons for inviting James to this podcast. First and foremost, he is the fellow cloud IT. In fact, he's the one who coined the term for us and he's a very good friend of mine and he has always helped me promote industry topics wherever applicable. Uh, In fact, he he helped me run few conferences when I was an industry analyst. Uh, One one was DeployCon conference where I was advocating the use of PaaS in enterprise. And then we we ran a conference called Cloud 2020 where it was more like a think tank where we got people to talk about what is happening in the industry uh, down the lane. And James was instrumental in helping Make these events suc- uh, successful. And um, uh, more More importantly, whenever I sort of like uh, uh, go in, uh, put on my marketing ad and stop advocating something uh, vigor- vigorously, he'll be the person who will may- make sure that I don't uh, b- blindly go about advocating something and I stay r- rational in my advocacy. So thanks, James, for doing that. And thanks for taking your time to come to this podcast. And he will be talking about services as a platform in this first podcast. James, before we dig into the platform, do you want to introduce yourself, talk about your industry advocacy, current employment, etc.?
1: Sure, absolutely. Thank you, by the way. Very honored by that introduction. So my name is James Urquhart. In my life, I have been a large-scale distributed applications developer. I've been on the vendor side as a field consultant. I've been on the vendor side as a uh, sales engineer and a a sales engineering uh, manager. I've been in startups, I've been in large companies. I've, uh, you know, most recent jobs uh, include uh, being at Cisco uh, where I helped uh, define Cisco's uh, overall cloud strategy or at least the messaging, um, a large chunk of the messaging around that. I spent a lot of time at a startup called Instratus, which became Instratius, which became Dell Cloud Manager with the acquisition um, almost two years ago um, of Instratus uh, by Dell. And uh, in that time there, I have been um, VP or uh, a product development prior to the acquisition director, product management, and uh, have been uh, a key strategist for the group uh, in all of that time. In the meantime, during all that time, I also was a blogger for um, uh, The Wisdom of Clouds was the name of the blog, which went to CNET um, for a number of years. And then after that, I blogged for uh, GigaOM until uh, quite obviously recently <laughs> with the demise of GigaOM. And, uh, uh, you know, and I think uh, my strongest thing has always been the focus on the... Complexity involved in distributed systems development and operations with maybe a little bit more of a focus on the operations side for the last 10 years and really trying to make that as simple, but also as powerful and flexible as possible.
0: Thank you. Uh, Before we discuss services as a platform, I want to set some context. In fact, the reason I sort of uh, wanted to start with you is uh, your idea of services as a platform sort of gels with what I have been advocating under the modern enterprise uh, framework uh, name tag. Uh, uh, Even though we may not, uh, there may be some differences in how we approach uh, doing this, Uh, the end goal is same for both of us. So that's, I thought, okay, you'll be a right person to start this podcast series, and before we start talking about your uh, model like i would love to hear from you about what you are observing in the industry in terms of uh, technology advancements and uh, what you are seeing from where you are uh, right now, where, what you're seeing, how enterprises are warming up to newer trends, and uh, probably you could use them to set the foundation for our further discussion on services as a platform.
1: Sure. Well, I think, listen, the, the biggest thing that's happening, so let me start at the very beginning, right? The first One of the first most important observations that I made about cloud was that cloud is an operations model. It's not a technology. You start with the premise that there's no execution stack there's nothing in the execution stack that code has to go through that's purely cloud that you know cloud is the way you operate those mm-hmm. execution stacks and the data associated with the applications and in fact i think in my opinion docker has made this incredibly clear right there's two key things that need to be packaged and managed in the cloud world ultimately uh, in any world and that's processes and data mm-hmm. And when you really begin to look at it from that perspective, you begin to see that cloud is a utility model for delivering and and executing on processes and data. So when you start from that premise, then you begin to go, well, okay, so what is that operations model, really? What's the difference between that operations model and whatever operations models we worked on in the past, client, server, and uh, a number of other things? And the biggest difference is the shift from the attention of managing the the infrastructure, the components that allow you to run software, to uh, a focus increasingly on the software. But I think I even got that wrong. I mean, that was my big message, was the move from server-centric operations to application-centric operations was the big deal of cloud. And I've been saying that for a number of years, but I think I even got that wrong because what's becoming increasingly clear now is it's not even really about applications in the traditional sense we think about it. It's about solving problems. It's a solution-centric operations model from the perception of those who are buying cloud, from those who are consuming cloud services. They are looking at ways to combine things and recombine things um, quickly and easily, um, and to do kind of bare minimum development of core high-value elements that they can bring together in different ways to be able to address problems extremely quickly, hit that long tail of issues that IT has never really been able to get to in the past because it's been too expensive to do prior to the cloud computing model. So. I think that the big trend you're seeing, and there's a lot of evidence behind that, right? So the power of Docker is a packaging mechanism because there are so many packages mm-hmm. from so many different parties that need to be combined and recombined. Um, the power of the services that the breadth of services that an Amazon or a Microsoft are offering, and and that you know Google is scrambling to catch up on, but is you know I, there there are others, and, and the reason the hosting companies are failing in the infrastructure cloud infrastructure because their lack of breadth, not their lack of depth their lack of breadth of capability that they bring to the table. Um, you have identity things that are happening very quickly right now. You have security things that are happening very quickly that are really you know, becoming more and more, less and less about what is the infrastructure that makes cloud work and more and more about what are the components and pieces you need to bring together in different situations to solve certain problems. Open source is another key example of exactly the same thing. People aren't looking for the big packaged vendor-supported software application to solve um, every single problem they come across right now. They want to start with pieces and parts they can bring together and then begin to get to those big packages, where the only exception to that rule is really the non-technical end user, but even they are looking to the technical community to give them bits and pieces that they can recombine easily or that can be recombined for low cost by others um, to solve their problems as well.
0: Yeah, I think I, I agree with you. Like, uh, the, the very perception has changed from like buying a, a big monolithic stack and putting it uh, putting it on your data center and uh, getting it running to more like, what are the good pieces that fit into my needs? Like, uh, it's more like a Lego. The Lego brick approach to uh, IT stack than a single monolithic stack. I also see that difference. And uh, with the services model coming into picture, I think uh, the way we look at IT is going to change tremendously. I think uh, you have set the context pretty well. What do you? I, I'm sure as an industry observer as well as as a part of your work, you have been talking to customers, uh, especially enterprise customers. Do you uh, do you see them warming up to these newer trends? Do do they really understand? Because uh, when I go and talk to enterprise customers, there are a group which gets it very well. Then there is another group who is totally confused like i i use the term legacy prison here there are the second group like they are struck with their legacy investments and also confused by the rapidly changing uh, technology landscape so what what do you observe in the enterprise in the enterprise segment and uh, do you think they are warming up to the the new kind of uh, approach you are advocating with services as platform
1: yeah, well, I always I would say it's really interesting if you're in the cloud business, right? If you go and talk to IT, mm-hmm. who are you talking to, right? And what you I think what you're demonstrating is there are companies that have already moved to being more application or solution centric in their thinking and i think that's often the cio is is a key leader in that mm-hmm. the, the role that they want to play in the business in terms of what they deliver and what they own the role that they're allowed to play but the you know the the key thing there is is if you're an infrastructure centric person all of this is going to be very difficult to grasp because You're used to planning and building data centers or trying to cut down on the number of data centers um, while you know maintaining a level of service and infrastructure. You're used to having conversations about outsourcing, which are almost never really about the applications that are being outsourced. They're almost always about how do you keep those applications running, which becomes an infrastructure conversation. And so so much of that, you know, that part of the of the industry is really very much still, you know, it's coming out of it slowly but surely, but it's still very focused. On that that level of questions about the infrastructure, then you go and talk to a business unit and a technical team attached to a business unit or a development team in an agency that supports large numbers of companies doing you know large scale marketing uh, online. Or you talk to um, you know a, a number of application teams even within the IT department that are focused much more on integration led issues, for instance. Mm-hmm. And you begin to see a shift in conversation. On their part, from you know, I I don't want my biggest hurdle to be getting to the point where I can actually start solving the problem. I want my biggest hurdle to be solving the problem. So cloud allows me to prototype quickly. It allows me to build scaled applications and systems of engagement, as as the Forrester team likes to call them. You know, they're the new classes of applications that were incredibly expensive to do before because they actually are a small part of the business overall, but they have big revenue possibilities maybe, but they're kind of a gamble or they're big data analytics things where, hey, our analysis may turn up nothing, but we need to try to do this stuff. And those kinds of classes of applications where it's trial and error, where the cost of failure mm-hmm. is a big part of the cost of the application, so if you can get the cost of failure down, you can do more of it. Those are the things that really begin to embrace cloud, and those are the organizations that are, are you know, and the, 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 the technical people that are running at and, and beginning to spend money in large amounts on cloud computing capability. And the IT organizations that recognize the value of that high churn, low cost of failure um, class of applications Um, In addition to the fact that they have legacy and there's no way they're going to rip that legacy out and magically make it cheaper and more agile by throwing it at the cloud. Those organizations that look at this is a new class of applications and a new opportunity for the business and it's really where the growth is Mm -hmm. in terms of the use of technology in business. They're the ones that I think are the ones that you see that are grasping it and the ones that don't have that problem or haven't embraced the fact that they should be thinking about that problem, the ones that are looking at core, you know, keep the cost of IT low and minimize the use of IT in order to maximize the profit of the businesses in in its traditional model. those organizations then are the ones that are very resistant to a lot of, you know, they might get private cloud. I mean, come on, for 10 or 15 years even now we've been talking about utility computing automation within a data center, right? The ability to turn, um, you know, resource pools into of pool, pool of capability that can be used for a variety of different purposes. That message is, I think, more or less understood by most of IT. What this idea of now out, you know, putting that out in a public cloud that isn't really a formal outsourcing agreement. There's no SLA. There's a variety of other things that are really different, is still really difficult for them to grasp. So I think that's kind of the, the model I look at it is really, you know, it, you have to look at who's the buyer. Mm-hmm. And ultimately right now, IT's not the buyer of cloud services. They're the buyer of infrastructure and technologies to allow them to deliver some cloud services in some case, and that's a good thing often. But they're not usually the end buyer of the cloud services themselves.
0: I agree. I agree. And, uh, and also, like thanks to the buzzer on DevOps, like when I talk to IT and when they get interested in the DevOps idea, I am able to sort of like tell the uh, uh, talk to them about what uh, devops does not just to them but also to the developer and business side of the things. So right. they, then I sort of build on that and talk to them about where devops is not just about bringing de- developers and operations together to get things done fast. It's also aligning everything with the the entire organization which also includes business users. So I think yeah. that conversation makes it easy for, for uh, to make IT see the value offered by the, these uh, services based abstractions at a higher uh, higher level. Yeah, I think uh, we have set the context for your uh, topic. I think uh, if you can now introduce your idea of services as a platform, probably uh, just for the sake of uh, doing it in a uh, fun way, like uh, if you can first describe services as a platform within 140 characters and then go about explaining it, (laughs) that'll be good.
1: Uh, Well, can I just, before I do the 140 characters, let me just sort of say it's not my term, um, not one that I coined, but um, one that I I, I very much embraced. I think Lou Tucker was the first one to express to me, who's now the CTO of cloud at uh, Cisco, and he heard that from somebody else. But what we're trying to do, the short answer is, you know, uh, the idea of services as a platform is to look at software foundations as not frameworks. That define a context in which things occur, but to define it in terms of a set of capability and components that can be combined and recombined in a variety of ways in a variety of different contexts in a way that they each do what they do quite well, but can be adjusted to, you know, can be used appropriately within each context for the purpose that that context requires. So that's the short version. The longer version is really, you know, is basically to say the idea of platform as a service is a great concept, but what many people early on defined platform as a service as being was much more what Simon Wardley initially sort of used this term. And, and Simon's a great thinker, right, was, <laughs> is a great thinker around cloud computing, but he's, he's kind of moved on to looking at some other issues now. But, but you know, he used coined the term framework as a service. Mm-hmm. And so frameworks, the issue you have with frameworks, and I learned this when I worked for Forte Software years ago, and every single SI we worked with built their own framework to make, you know, Forte easier to use. "Quote unquote," mm-hmm. but the problem is, is that every single one of them built those frameworks with a single or maybe a small number of customers in mind. And mm-hmm. when they went to the very next customer, the framework was context was defined so strictly that it was not useful in a different context. And the first place you saw this problem in platform as service was with the original version of Google App Engine, where they had thirty second transaction time limits. They had a bunch of other things that were great for the kinds of things that Google did all the time—very mm-hmm. quick hit individual transactional things, but most enterprises couldn't use it. They had long running elements where they had to follow a process for an extended period of time um, before they made their next decision. Or they would have to rewrite their core concepts to be completely event driven, which isn't a bad thing. But App Engine didn't have anything really to support event driven. Programming. So from that perspective, you know, th- that was always my initial argument about why platform as a service, as the original concept was defined, would fail. Right. Is is because you'll have it be very much like the power builder story. Power mm-hmm. builder in the 90s was huge. Everybody absolutely everybody's building their database apps on Power Builder. It was hard to find a shop that wasn't using Power Builder somewhere. Eventually, something like Forte got brought in or something else got brought in because Power Builder was very, very good at what it did and was really difficult to use for a number of other problems and impossible to to use for others, because it was such a firmly defined framework. And it, so that's where the original concept was, Is you know, really what we're trying to go for isn't so much a framework-driven approach to software development that supports cloud. What we're really trying to go for is um, is something where it's the services dummy. That is the platform. It's the services that are used in the application. that are part of the execution of the application that are the things of value. And the ability to combine and recombine those, something called composable versus contextual Approaches to um, assembling complex applications, composable approach to building applications with a set of services that support that, and then an operations environment, an operations framework that understands that services-led approach and makes the deployment on specific clouds And, you know, you can generalize to a certain extent, but there's typically a little bit of lockdown in terms of the cloud models that are getting used. But that's okay because the applications can be many and varied that take advantage of those kinds of approaches. And so, and 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 again, you may have parts of your application run in a PaaS and parts of the application be outside of the PaaS. For instance, if you use Twilio in your application, Twilio isn't running in your PaaS. It's a service that you're calling externally, but it's still a part of your application from your perception. So that, you know, that's the the concept is really that very composable world where, you know, and Amazon, I think, made it extremely clear early on by just adding core database, you know, components, and they have several different types of data store, they have several different types of data analytics service. Now, they've got a tremendous amount of, of compute options that you can choose from, there's now networking options that you can choose from. And that kind of composability, bring the pieces together that you need for your application environment for the approach that you're taking, and build the application that you want from those pieces, and plus what you bring to the table, that has enabled them to be. I mean, look at the breadth of industry that they cover um, in terms of what they do, and I think the passes are, are certainly going to go through some of that as well. And there's, there's, a, I think there's a lot to see what's going to happen. I mean, I, you know, I tick off some of my PaaS friends a lot when I say I think the most successful PaaS out there today is GitHub connected to Jenkins, connected to uh, you know Maven or an archiving tool of your choice. Plus a lot of code um, written to you know CloudFormation or you know a lot of scripting of some sort written for the deployment actions and 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 uh, and configuration. You know I, I see tons and tons of stuff written that way. That's just a composable approach that I think will be packaged better ultimately by a PaaS led approach um, downstream. But that's the beginnings of it.
0: I, I, uh, I totally agree with you. In fact, uh, PaaS start started out as a power, something like a power builder. Like uh, I I fully agree with. You. You on that. In fact, I would say that it's that begin those beginnings of past is what is hurting. PaaS providers even today because it has set a definition and it's becoming difficult for some of the vendors to sort of convey the message beyond that. But modern-day PaaS offerings have sort of changed from that kind of a power builder kind of a model to more composable model, model right, which you are right. describing, whether it's OpenShift or Cloud Foundry. We are sort of like now talking about how we can bundle the core components and then the other other services needed to sort of like make it easy for customers was to build those kind of right. composable right. elements i think uh the the as you say the pass offerings are, ch- are changing and it will change further i think in the next few versions of various pass offerings out there will sort of fit into this kind of a model where... yeah and,
1: and that's critical i mean the simplifying the consumption of service mm-hmm. is where a lot of activity is happening right now where the where the mass market will see a lot of action in the next probably two years.
0: Yeah, I agree with you totally. In fact, uh, that that is uh, one of the reasons why, uh, no, I'm not plugging OpenShift V3 here, but in OpenShift, uh, next version of OpenShift, we are making do, uh, using Docker to sort of like uh, uh, make the deployments of uh, your code simpler. At the same time, we are making it easily talk to the service endpoints because this kind of uh, code with, uh, with the ecosystem of services around it uh, is key to success for enterprises. And, yeah, uh, that, that is our uh, approach too. I agree with you. Too. Totally on that. There is no
1: argument. No argument with me there. Yeah,
0: that brings us to the topic of Docker. So, how do you okay. say it? For me, like, uh, Docker is right, uh, the, especially the Docker pa- packaging format. I'm not talking about going into, into the co- controversies around uh, what, what is happening there, but the Docker packaging format, it made everything simple, especially whether it was to uh, adopt uh, your uh, idea of services as a platform or the composable enterprise model of uh, Jonathan Murray or whatever I am talking in terms of modern enterprise framework. It, it, Docker has ch- uh, made it much easier. In fact, Adrian Cockcroft, uh, who was skeptical in the early days of Docker, I still remember the conversation I had uh, with him uh, in uh, interrupt some time back. Uh, he was a little skeptical at the time. Now he is a, uh, he is the, uh, he is advocating Docker everywhere he goes, especially with the microservices coming into picture. I think uh, Docker has uh, found the sweet spot. What do you think about that?
1: No, I, so there, there is no doubt. So one of the things, and 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 I know you remember like years ago when there were some discussions about. "Quote unquote inner cloud" that happened at Google mm-hmm. with a whole bunch of people from around the industry, and I, I advocated this concept that I call P card, which is you know metadata description of the elements required to run your application that you could hand mm-hmm. off to different cloud providers and say you know how much of this can you run or what elements of this can you execute.
0: I remember um, that very well, yeah.
1: right? And and so Docker. And Docker files, but you know, it, not specifically Docker files, but different elements of Docker are a packaging mechanism that begins to get to that vision in a slightly different way than expected, right? So the, the focus on containers is actually really interesting. But I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning of the call, which is uh, the, the podcast, which is, look it's really about packaging processes and packaging data in a way that you can, you know, become connect them and their dependencies and their elements together but at the same time also, you know, be able to, to very carefully control those at a fine grained level as well. Docker does that amazingly well and i think um that and containers in general do that really well but they're not necessarily the end game. So yeah. my argument i would say that docker is a really good platform to land on and by platform, I'm using the term differently. It's a, a good step. Yeah, it's in the a, evolutionary it's, a, a process. it's a
0: good means to end. Uh, it, it's yeah. a good
1: step in the evolutionary process. Right now, the question is, you know, I'm hearing things about unikernels. Mm-hmm. People that are very very interested in, in that concept. I'm hearing things about uh, you know uh, basically getting uh, processes uh, developed in such a way with chips uh, and systems that there's no OS really yeah. involved in it at all. There's mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of API level communication happening between even the subsystems um, through services, you know, APIs, so that, uh, you know, finding your data is completely eliminates the, the concept of various storage elements even being in there, which which um, Docker still has some of that, right? They have networking issues now um, that they're working through and they're fixing rapidly. They have, uh, you know, they have, they've had different storage debates mm-hmm. over time. So again, all of that is very forward thinking kind of stuff right now for most organizations that are looking what they need to do docker is turning out to be a heaven sent way of packaging at a different level than we've had to deal with before i've got a friend who works for a, a medical robotics company they do surgery robots right really really cool stuff and the big problem they've had is you know how to deliver the software uh, and software updates and everything else to the system without having to create a huge amount of overhead Enter Docker. It looks like it's going to work really well for them. And that's a completely different use case than most of us talk about in the enterprise space. And again, it comes down to that composable unit that does what it does extremely well, which is package mm-hmm. processes and and the information needed for those processes to talk to the outside world in a way that's really concise. Yeah. Um, so from that idea that the core Docker concept as a packaging mechanism, uh, it, I mean, it's completely wiped out the discussion of any of the other software packaging products um, That are out there. Right. I mean, it, it, you don't ever hear about a, a lot of the other companies that were doing mm-hmm. software packaging and, yeah. and application updates um, before. Um, Now, it's interesting. Windows doesn't have this kind of stuff yet. Yeah, they're working on it. It, it. it will show up soon enough. But it's a it's a sign of, um, you know, it's a sign of the times that that one of the first things that Microsoft did was rather than try to create their own version of this, they embraced Docker.
0: Yeah. I agree. In fact, uh, I was on a panel with Mark uh, Rasinovich in one of the interops and uh, I I, I like to make those provocative statements. So I said, uh, if your platform doesn't support uh, Docker, you're uh, selling snake oil. Mark immediately jumped in and said, "Yes, that's why we, 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 you, you, you will see, soon see an announcement from Microsoft, and uh, it it came through. That was pretty impressed with the, how fast they embraced the model and uh, got into the bandwagon."
1: Yep, no, that's really cool. And um, so, I, I it, but again, so it, so I think it's a, a critical element. It's definitely a major part of the revolution. It will be a part of the fabric of life for the next five to ten years, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it may not be the end game. No, definitely um, not. And so from that perspective and again I think the passes have a chance to influence that in a big way but I think uh, again it, and it's a sign of it's it's a sign of the the moving towards the solution element of the stack in a way as well it's a it's a sign of trying to turn the infrastructure into even less about infrastructure and even more about an execution environment for the processes I agree
0: I, I fully agree. I think we are almost running out of time. So, like, uh, uh, I would like to take your prediction for the next three years or ten years on where enterprise IT will be heading.
1: Well, yeah, it's a, <laughs> man. I mean, there's a million things that can happen here, and yeah. and really to, to to try to map it as a as a simple trend line, um, I think it's going to be extremely difficult. I, um, I think what we're in, we've, we're have we well into right now is sort of the maturing phase of, of the cloud computing era where now the mass market is beginning to adopt it where it makes sense to do so. They're being to look at um, ways to push the envelope and how it's being used to solve everything from um, how to handle uh, legacy workloads up to how to create you know all new uh, methods of, of passing work around even between companies, not only within companies. So I, I expect that what you're going to see is some of the platforms that are built on top of the cloud, just changing life for um, people forever. So a lot of conversation about Uber right now, I believe that's a critical part. And I think that there's some enterprise stuff to come that will be a very, very different way of dealing with work of dealing with, uh, uh how business is done. And I think there, there's, you know, that stuff is, is going to take some time again to roll out because you've got, you've got the innovators dilemma in a big way across the industry. Um, and I, the last thing I'll say is, uh, you know, from a technology prediction perspective, um, I do believe that, uh, uh Developers will be looking for increased ways to solve more problems more simply. And as they do that for any given problem, it will create new opportunities to solve even bigger problems. And uh, and, and so, you know, I, I think we're entering an era where connected software on the Internet, as much as it's revolutionized our world today, um, will actually change the fundamental nature of our day-to-day lives um, in ways that are are unpredictable but almost inevitable at this
0: point. Thank you very much, James. It was a great conversation, and uh, I would like to have you again in the future. Talking about uh, more, uh, more uh, different topics uh, related to modern enterprise, and thank you for, for those listening to Modern Enterprise podcast. I'm looking forward to more conversation in the coming men- months with uh, more people, both from the buyer and vendor sides. And next up will be Jonathan Murray from uh, who, who is the author of the Composable Enterprise Model. I will you will get the information about the uh, podcast and uh, the uh, future episodes at allthingsplatforms.com. I once again thanks Red Hat for supporting me to do this podcast. Thank you very much.